see trees of green Red roses too I see them bloom For me and you And I think to myself Virgin Valley Artists Association welcomes you to the Art Box, recorded in our beautiful Mesquite, Nevada, and sponsored by the Virgin Valley Artists Association. Our association has something for everyone of all ages. Come and get creative with us at 15 West Mesquite Boulevard, or find us online at mesquitefineartcenter.com, or on Facebook as Mesquite Fine Art Center, also on Facebook, the Art Box. Welcome to the Art Box. Hi, Linda. How are you doing? Hi, Steve. I'm doing great. How are you today? I'm just super duper. And what, what have you been doing this past week? Well, it's hiking season again. The weather's better, so I've been doing a lot of hikes. Planning one tomorrow in Gold Butte, and uh, Saturday I plan one in Valley of Fire. I'm still trying to get my reservation to go hike Angels Landing in Zion. So far, that hasn't worked, but I'm working on it. Good luck, because that's a heck of a hike. Yes. I'm thinking about the switchbacks. Oh, I've made it up to Scouts Lookout. Yeah, is that what it is, Scouts Lookout? But I haven't made it up the chains yet to the top. The chains are gross. (laughs) I love it. I shouldn't say gross. They're scary. (laughs) They're scary. Today, um, we're very lucky. Um, Our other host... Rachel Washington is with us today. Hello, how are you? So, and everybody probably knows Rachel because she's also hosted other podcasts. But Rachel's going to be an on again, off again host with us, and we're so lucky to have her. Thank but you for having me. Today, the three of us here are, are here to grill our guest, grill <laughs> Bethany Overland Green. Bethany, yeah. welcome to the Art Box. Thank you. You want to tell us a little bit about yourself? I am a mom of seven kids, seven adopted, beautiful children. I have lived in Mesquite 15 years. I lived in back east before that. I was a nanny back east and lived back there for 15 years. Oh, correct. Back east. Where was I? Yeah. I started off in Connecticut and fell in love with Washington, D.C. after um, going to see the cherry blossoms. Big mistake. Don't ever go to the cherry blossoms if you don't want to move there. I ended up living there for the remainder of my time in Washington, D.C. And then I came back home and after a failed marriage and then met my current husband and moved here to Mesquite, Nevada. In Mesquite? Yeah. My mom graduated from high school here. I have family that my grandparents stayed. I always knew Mesquite. I knew Mesquite when there was one road and you could ride a horse or an ATV down every road. There was you know, not a stoplight, maybe only one stop sign. So I've known Mesquite through all of its changes and have loved every part of it. And I'm so thankful to raise my family here. It's a great place to raise, raise my kiddos. What a cool time to be a part of the city to not only see the changes that its original residents had where it became established, but to see it modernize and for it to grow up with you like that. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like I have grown up with it, like I've grown up with Mesquite and 
that it's always been as constant. My sisters and I talk about that, that there's not a lot of constant things in your life, but there are things in Mesquite that have remained the same. You know, they've just, I mean, Hafen Ranch was always there and will always be there because the Havens won't ever give it up, hopefully, prayfully. Um, but that's a constant that, you know, when we would pull into Mesquite, we would pull down, you know, Old Mill. That's where my, my aunt lives at the end of Old, Real, Old Mill Road, which is where Haven Ranch is. And there it is. There's Haven Ranch, even though there's houses around it. You know, now um, it's a constant. And it's there's not many things in life that can be that way. So, yeah, it's a beautiful way to say it. So you've adopted seven children. Would you like to tell us a little bit about them? Yes. My oldest is 16. Uh, we got her and her brother when she was nine. He was almost three. They had been severely neglected, abused. It was very difficult. And when we first had agreed on doing foster care, we said we would never take anyone older than, you know, a baby because the trauma that happens is so great. But when I met my oldest daughter, Alexa. I knew that she was mine. I just knew it. I she came later in our family, so I, you know, adopted adopted several other children before her, and the same emotion came with every single one of them. I just knew they were mine. It was different than the other foster kids that we had, which were a lot. We have had fostered a lot of kids. So I have my 16-year-old, then my 13-year-old daughter, who is just such a bright light. I have a 12-year-old son, two 10-year-olds, not related, but people always say, are they twins? No, <laughs> they're not even from the same family, biological family. Then a nine-year-old and my youngest is six. My six-year-old was born addicted to heroin. His biological mom actually OD'd in prison, which caused her to go into labor. Um, or not to go in labor, but they had to take him. So he was withdrawing from heroin for nine months. I had to give him methadone. He was he was born with cerebral palsy because he was without oxygen, just because his mom was without oxygen when she delivered him, or when he was delivered via C-section. So he was diagnosed with cerebral palsy at birth. Then um, from that, gained a seizure disorder. And then later on, when he was three, we discovered he has a, a bone disorder as well, a bone disease that has caused his right hip to basically die. So he's already had two surgeries and has a lot of a long road ahead of him. All of my children except two were born substance exposed. Three of them have fetal alcohol syndrome that have been diagnosed. I wouldn't be surprised. Fetal alcohol syndrome is one of those things really hard to diagnose. You have to have a lot of traits, physical traits for them to actually give you the diagnosis. So I have three that have the official diagnosis. All of my, I have one daughter that was born without the middle part of your brain, which is called a corpus callosum. When she was born, I was actually able to be at her birth because I had two of her siblings already in my home and, um, got really close with the biological mom. She knew she couldn't keep this baby, so I was able to be at her birth, which was beautiful. But very early on, <clears throat> she was only born at three pounds. Very early on, they discovered something's not right. Like she's not even doing a suckling motion. She's not, you know, there were lots of things that were just abnormal for even a, a tiny baby. 
So they did an MRI and discovered in that that she was missing her middle part of her brain, which is is basically the motherboard of your brain. It's what connects everything to, to do anything. The neurologist sat us down in the NICU and said, your daughter, you know, I'm so sorry, but she, this is, she won't eat ever on her own. She won't breathe ever on her own. She's, you know, I don't know what to tell you. And 10 days later, she came home at four pounds, two ounces, and has still to this wow. day just shocked everyone. Uh, she's actually do, in part of a study at UNLV with a geneticist there because they think that her fetal alcohol syndrome is actually counteracting the, the loss of the corpus callosum. Her and another child, a boy, are, do, are in this study. He does not have fetal alcohol syndrome but has missing a corpus callosum. So they're, they're studying them. Um, she goes every six months and has, we do, you know, lengthy interviews and checkups to see what has changed and it's fascinating. It's incredible. Science is amazing. I'm amazed with the emotional and physical strength you must have to be able to adopt and care for all of these children with disabilities. What is, what drives you to do this? What's your inspiration for adopting the special needs children? My inspiration is definitely my mom. Uh, my mom, from a very young age, worked at a, uh, a group called Vaunted America and got a lot of programs going in Salt Lake that were in desperate need of, of them having. And she just started bringing people home. Um, we would come home from school, and there would just be random families at our house, sometimes the whole family, sometimes just kids, sometimes just the mom and one kid. It was not shocking to any of us. And she would also adopt every neighborhood kid, became her kid. I was also raised with two women that their families basically just abandoned them because they came out as being gay. And back then, that was really hard mm -hmm. for, um, I, was, I was raised as part of the Mormon religion, and that was just very frowned upon. And you had to leave, you know, it, it still is to this day, but they, they just literally abandoned their children and just said, you're done, you're not allowed in our home. But they were allowed in my mom's home. She inspired me to... To, to be that kind of person. I've always been a kind of person that kind of just collects other people around me. When I realized at a really young age that I wouldn't be able to have children, we knew that adoption was our, which was our way. While we, when we signed up to be foster parents, we were also doing adoption agencies, but there are so many parents that are wanting to adopt the perfect baby, you know, the perfect kid that, I mean, we waited two years before and nothing happened. So then we started our foster journey and they found, they found us. You know, I really believe that each one of our kids found us. They were supposed to be with us. And even though their stories, unfortunately, had to, you know, come to us a different way and a hard way, but they came to us. What I really love listening to about you talking about your kids is that you've separated their past or where they came from, from the human they are, to allow them to grow, to allow them to be more than what they came from which is sometimes hard to do. You, as a person, can't erase where a person 
I guess, originates. Would you, where do you draw that inspiration from to tell your kids you're so much more than what your parents did for you because the world can do loads for you? A kid that would probably be my mom, a little bit from my dad. My dad was a kind of troubled soul. He, you know, struggled with addiction and mental health and, um, but he overcame a lot of it many times in front of us. We would see, you know, dad's struggling, but somehow would regain it and come back and be, you know, normal, um, civilized, you know, good, good. So you're used to people having fluctuating lives and not yeah. just wake up every day, be perfect, be neurotypical, yeah. go on, do And the my mom thing. would just continue on loving him, you know, and and sometimes my siblings, my sisters who were older than I would, would get so mad. Like, why is mom letting him back? Why is he she allowing this again? But she just couldn't stop loving him, you know, she just couldn't, and she couldn't stop seeing the good in him. And that's what she really what I would take away from my mom, and anyone would say this about my mom, is that she saw the very best in even the worst people. She just knew how to see it and just look past any hardness. She didn't even see it. And all of us still say, how did she not see it? <laughs> yeah, she sounds like the walking definition of unconditional. Yeah, she, she definitely was. And she was also raised in, uh, you know, a high demand religion, but somehow she was able to pick apart the goodness of that and just that just came just like exuded from her it just every pore was just part of her yeah I've never seen my kids as having any you know disabilities I think they have different abilities for sure but I always have to remind people when we're like in an IEP meeting and they they say you know well let's talk about your kids disabilities and I always have to remind them Let's talk about their different vulnerabilities. They're different. You know, it's very different because you can get caught up in that. You can get caught up in the, what are my kids' disabilities and what are my own disabilities? And my mom was always a good example of, of showing there's not a disability there. It's either an unability or a, a, different, a different ability. And I've seen you push for your children to join different art programs in many different styles, whether it's painting, drawing, acting. You have them sort of giving their voice or giving their lives towards art. Does that help with that uh, bridge, I guess? Yeah, I have found that each one of my kids has a different ability in art and different interest. Um, my oldest, Alexa, is an amazing physical artist, you know, of drawing. Uh, but also just an incredible performer, performing artist. That girl has so much talent. And same with my 13-year-old daughter, Sasha. She is, it just comes to her. The First of all, the memorization that she, the ability that she has to memorize lines is phenomenal to me. She's helping me with lines on a current play that I am in, and she knows my lines better than I do. Like, she can say them. And, you know, she just helps me a few times, and boom she's got him go Sasha go I know go Sasha go she is I might have to have a little mic with her ear her voice in my ear saying here's your next line uh, <laughs> that would be helpful and then my other kids yeah they're very I would say all of them are involved somehow Skylar discovered that he really likes building sets um, with the help of Mike Mike was his is just a cool guy and helped him with that and 
the yeah. art of architecture is so impressive. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So Skylar discovered that he loved that. And then my other kids are involved somehow in the performing arts with singing and dancing. And Logan is my only one that's not... I would say he's an amazing artist drawing-wise, but he's six, so he's kind of still discovering what he likes. He's discovering that he really likes to be really aggressive, and, you know, that's a fun age of learning that I can hit something. The art of the karate chop. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I know. Taekwondo, here we come. So you are also involved with performing arts, and I believe you said your mother was quite an artist. Yes, so my mom went to school actually in Las Vegas to uh, for beauty school, so worked on the strip a long, long time ago as a cosmetologist. And then when she moved back and had a family in Salt Lake, she started working for a playhouse called Promise Valley Playhouse huge huge playhouse in Salt Lake it's now a historical building it's I mean huge productions yeah you know you name the musical she was involved in it she did all of the hair and wigs for that there'd be many many mornings that we would wake up to our counters just filled with wig heads and you know on our counters with roller sets and beautiful bouffanti hair and there were amazing times had at the theater there so that was a fun a fun way to grow up so that got me really intrigued from a very young age because I also just fell in love with every one of these actors that I encountered you know and, and they took us all in too as as their little siblings and um, their kids like we just were part of the family and that's that's what I love about theater is it's just a family you become so close and when you're spending so much time and you're putting yourself out to be so vulnerable there's nothing left but to, to just love each other and and treat each other as family i learned a lot from a lot of those people and i'm lucky enough to know still some of those people and they've just changed my life i started in in high school i went to Conwood high school which is also a really well-known high school in Salt Lake for performing arts. It's very, they just kind of are, are you know, very proud of that, where some schools are really proud of <clears throat> sports. Common High School was always known, still to this day, is known for their productions. So I was lucky enough to be in, you know, productions all three years that I was at that high school. And then I just loved, I just fell in love with theater. So when I moved back east, I joined an improv group. I was in an improv group for I don't know, eight years and loved it. It was fun to just be silly and let go of everything. And whatever came out of your mouth was fine. It just it was there and you couldn't take it back. There was no backspace. There was no editing. It was just there on the table. Uh, yes, and. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Then when I moved to Mesquite and became a mom, I, I didn't really even think that I would ever be in theater again. I didn't, I thought that chapter of my life was closed. And then my kids got really into theater, and I loved watching them and being a volunteer for them. And then we did last year, last November, we did um, Christmas, uh, Christmas, in Neverland Christmas Carol. There we go, Neverland Christmas Carol. 
And I was a pirate in that. And I, again, just was sucked in and fell in love with it again and said, oh, this is, I gotta do this. I gotta do more of this. I did that. Then I did Evening of Culture. because Nevada is well known as having some haunted hotels, haunted theaters. Do you have an inside story for us? I do. I have quite, I can tell you all sorts of stories, but the playhouse that, the Pottertown Playhouse, was actually a bank before it became a playhouse. And lots of, there. you know, this was back in the day when people would be robbed, you know, with, horses you know guns ablazing type thing and so it's a lot of it is, is people saying that it's old you know old robbers coming back or whatever so I do have I'll share a few stories so one of the, my favorite stories happened with me and my brother and my mom and we were up in this big room a dressing room that's just mirror you know wall-to-wall mirrors and there's chairs and little um, little tables that it's where everyone gets ready. That's where they put their makeup on. And that's also where mom, my mom would, a lot of times, that's where they take their wigs off. So that's where she would be fixing them. And we were the, always there, you know, playing. And that we didn't have devices back then. So we were actually playing with each other. Or, <laughs> you know, we would play hide and seek in this huge theater. And my, my mom could see someone walking down the hallway. And so she said to us, you know, go tell that person they can't be up here. Like the... the no one, no one should be here. It's after hours. That person needs to leave. They don't need to be up here. So we're playing for a few minutes, and uh, you know, the person getting closer and closer and closer. The man, we can see it's a man, is getting closer and closer to us. And so my mom says again, "Yeah, you need to go tell him before he comes in here. Go tell him." She's kind of a little irritated with us. Go tell him he needs to leave. He needs to go back down the stairs. And the way that it was, you had to go down like a little hallway, and then there was a staircase down. So. Once you got to a certain point, there was no turning around or going anywhere. You had to go back and, you know, go to the... We are running towards him, and he just vanishes. He's nowhere. He's nowhere. He's gone. Wow. Totally, 100% verifiable. My brother saw the same thing, would would say tell the exact same story. It's a story that we retell over and over again. How did your mother react to that? She wasn't a, that alarmed because it ha- things like that happened a lot. Um, we didn't stay very long that night. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think she was a little bit creeped out that time. There were times where she would get bad feel. There were bad vibes, but it was mostly, you know, friendly, friendly ghosts, we'll say, that were there to just partake in the theater business as well. Another time my mom was there alone and really was legitimately alone there. Uh, she would be the last one to lock, you know, lock the place up and was responsible for that. And she heard someone vacuuming which there were cleaners that would come, and but they were not supposed to be there at that time. So she was, un, again, annoyed because she had now had to walk down from the stairs and look out onto this grand entryway, lobby-type area. And like she was, she was going to yell to them, like, it's time, what are you doing here? Like, didn't authorize you to be here. Why are you here? And so she went out to the, you know, the overlook, and the vacuum had stopped, and it was just sitting, you know, sitting there. So she thought, oh, well, great. Now I'm going to have to go down there and but she wasn't gonna do that right then. She was like, I'm just gonna go back to work. 
So then she went back to work and it started vacuuming again. She started, the vacuum started going again. And she thought, oh, again, having to walk downstairs and, you know, annoyed. This is taking time from, so she goes down and the vacuum is vacuuming, but the plug is not plugged in. Oh it's just vacuuming. It's just vacuuming. She left very quickly that night. She oh, did yeah. not. She just left. I'm <laughs> so entertained thinking that your mother might have known it was a ghost and is annoyed thinking you're not even here and you're going to make me get up, walk downstairs. Yes. Come on. Come on. <laughs> yeah. The They had an amazing organ there. This is the last Lasterato. Amazing organ there. They would use in a lot of productions, but sometimes it wasn't used at all. For years, it wouldn't be used. And during a live performance of, I don't even remember what it was, but we were there and we were in the green room. The organ just started playing during a live performance. So everyone there witnessed that the organ is playing and there is no one there. <laughs> it's not an oh auto. Boy. What year was it? Was it expected to be one of those like JCPenney self-playing Oh, pianos? no, it was not an auto. So everyone was totally spooked. Oh, yeah. Okay. It was like built in. It was a built-in organ, so it was not. It was an old-school organ, not a yeah, not an automatic. So the organ. audience is like movie magic over. We gotta go. Oh yeah, it was, <laughs> and it wasn't even with the you know, it was like Annie or something. Like it wasn't even a production that would have an organ in it. You know, it was, but you could just hear. So we heard the organ, and my mom looked at me, and we all, you know, all of us that are in the green room were looking at each other like, oh, what do we do? What do we do? Oh. And then it just stopped, and they just went on with the play. But yeah, there, I'm sure there are a lot of people in Salt Lake could that could could tell that same story. One day I was watching Annie. I don't know what play it was, but I can't remember. But yeah. Too, someone forgot to pay the ghost. Yeah. <laughs> and they did family the opera there several times. Uh, never, the organ never went off during that. They would play the organ, but it never went off just on by itself. The phantom would play it, but just never went off by itself. The ghost was offended. He's like, yeah. why are you impersonating me? Come on. <laughs> yeah. No. Fun so stuff. when you share your art, your performing art, what is it you want the audience to feel or to gain from your performance? Well, usually I want them to feel warm and fuzzy. So normally my characters have been really warm and fuzzy. And the last character I did was Faye McFay, which was also a, a stretch for me. I normally just play the very likable, easygoing, pretty much true to who I am person. So the last one was a little bit of a stretch, but not too much of a stretch because I ended up really falling in love with Faye. And she was just this, ended up being just a girl that wanted to, everyone to like her and she was misunderstood. Because I just want people to be entertained and to feel realness from my performance, you know, connect in some way, I guess, to to who I'm portraying, and I just want to do my very best to, you know, for the person that's created this character to respect them in that, and I mean, it's hard to come up with a character. Bethany, what do you do with the critic in your head? What do I do with the critic in my head? I learned a skill a long, long time ago from someone very wise, actually at theater, to check the facts. And it's a skill that I have used my whole life and I've incorporated with my children. Meaning you just focus on things that you know about yourself that are facts that cannot be altered in any way. 
So I wouldn't even be able to say that my eyes are brown as a fact because I could change those. I have, you know, when I'm in a really bad space and having a hard moment, I would say, you know, check the facts. I have 10 fingers. <laughs> I have a heart. I have lungs. I have two legs that carry me. Uh, I do the same thing with my kids. It has to be a fact that cannot be changed in, in right now, you know, in this very moment. And it's helped me through a lot and helped my kids through some hard times because the facts are facts and you can't, they're undeniable. I think hardcore facts are sometimes grounding, very grounding to bring you back to where you need to be. Well, Bethany, this has been an amazing interview. Thank you very much, Bethany. Thank you. But as we always end with our What's Inspired segment, so we'll do a little round robin today. Rachel, what's inspired you this week? Me, this week, I have been inspired by the city of Mesquite. I believe I've said this before, but the longer I live here, the more that I just walk down the streets and feel like I am thriving. It could make me cry sometimes. So thank you, Mesquite, for having me for the last year and some months because the city itself is so inspiring. Linda, what has inspired you this week? Bethany, you have really inspired me. Thank the you. work that you do with your children is amazing, and your mother's light shines through you. Bethany, what has inspired you this week? Oh man, it's been a it's been a difficult week. A lot of high emotion things. Uh, what's inspired me this week is that the days are constant and that they always end and that they always rise again. So just the constant of that, knowing that no matter how hard the day is, how hard the moment is, that there'll be a midnight and the next day we'll be here. So that's inspired me. What's inspired you? Well, you were part of it. <laughs> and I'll take us back to Monday, as Rachel was part of it too, that we get kind of a uh, a really neat thing. It was your guys' idea. I got to be there. I got to take pictures for Shasha. And it was it was fun. Wasn't it was it? amazing. And I got to ride in a limo. <laughs> Shout out I, Dana Long and Love Family Group. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I got to take pictures of a bunch of my heroes. Yep. It was incredible. And I, I want to do a quick shout out to you guys, uh, all of Love Family, while we're on here. Sasha was extremely nervous to go back to school on Wednesday. They didn't have school Tuesday. And she went back to school on Wednesday, and somehow all those bullies, guess what? They're not talking to her. They don't say a word to her. So the ones that had made her cry on Monday at school, after Monday's event, they're now leaving her alone, which I just think, man. Excellent. Really, love does come through. Love comes through every time. Yes, it does. Love trumps all. Love trumps all. Absolutely. And that's it for the art box. And all four of us are going to shed a tear of joy <laughs> because this was a great interview today. It was. Okay. Bethany, thank you very much. Yeah, I've loved thank getting you. to know you. Thanks. Broadcasting from Mesquite, Nevada, in the scenic Mojave Desert, the Art Box sponsors thank you for listening. To find our next and past podcasts, find us online at mesquitefineartcenter.com, where all accompanying images and links are available on the Art Box page. Questions, comments, opinions, and concerns can be sent to artboxvv at gmail.com.
The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of its hosts and guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of the Virgin Valley Artists Association.